Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm one of your hosts, Yucca. And I'm the other one, Mark. And today we are talking about Christianity and paganism, worldviews, and really kind of exploring that idea. Yeah, because when you really drill down into a pagan way of understanding the world, it starts to really rub sharply up against the the models for what's important in the universe and how we should live and all that kind of stuff that are taught to us by the mainstream culture. And in the mainstream culture in the English-speaking world, that is entirely suffused with Christianity. Right. So much so that I think we're very unaware of the extent. It really takes yes. some deep reflection and and exploring an investigation of other world frameworks to even be able to recognize what is coming from Christianity and what's influenced by Christianity and how what we're doing is different in some ways. Right. Yeah. Right. It's the water we're swimming in. Right. And so it becomes background to us. We we don't notice that we're swimming. You know, we don't notice that we're moving through air because air is around us all the time, right? So we don't pay very much attention to air unless it's moving at high speed or carrying water or something like that or smoke or whatever. <laughs> the temperature it, it is a little bit off. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's... Uh, so let, let's dive in and let's let's talk about what some of those kind of core Christian beliefs are. Not so much beliefs, but frameworks right. for how to live and what's important and those kinds of things. Moral yeah. frameworks. Well, I was doing a lot of reflecting on this throughout the week because we we talked about last time, oh, what, what are we going to talk about next week? And so we had a little bit of time to do some brainstorming. And what it what kept coming back for me is the relationship and role of authority. And I think mm -hmm. that this is something that that in our conversation today we're sticking to Christianity, but I think this is something that is shared with other monotheistic religions in general, at least the ones that I've been exposed to. And the approach to there being a god or this deity who is the ultimate authority who is something of a parent role but parent in a very mm -hmm. authoritative kind of way i think is really central to a lot of the other topics that we're going to get into in terms of why you do good things versus why you do bad things and how do you see what is good and what is bad and what your roles are. I think it, a lot of it really comes down to that relationship to authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really agree with that. That, I mean, we people talk about God the Father, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's this patriarchal idea of, first of all, male supremacy, which is sown pretty thoroughly throughout mm -hmm. Christianity. But beyond that, it's this authority figure 
who hands down the law and you obey it. And if you don't obey it, then you get punished. Right. And they um, know best. They know better for yes. you than you do for yourself. And you right. should do well, good. In this case, they know everything. Yes. Right. And so don't question it. Yeah, because they know everything. They're always right there. They're not capable of making a mistake. All of those things are true. And that is a very powerful model, but to my mind, not a very realistic one. Um, even if you believe in, in you know, the, the medieval philosophers would get themselves all twisted in knots hmm. about this. The theologians, you know, can can God create a stone that is too heavy for him to lift? You know, these kinds of questions, because there are tons of paradoxes in the idea of something that is infinite, infinite knowledge, infinite strength, infinite power, infinite presence, you know, omnipresent everywhere around us all the time watching. Mm -hmm. There are just, you know, kind of rational, logical problems with that. But it is a very powerful, compelling set of models, particularly if it's embraced by a society that is similarly constructed. So if you've got a society that's built with an authority at the top, like a king, mm -hmm. and the king is always right, the king can do whatever he wants, everybody else is subject to the whims of the king, then having a religion where that's the same model works out pretty well for the king, right? And right. for those that are close to the king. Well, and for the smaller kings underneath that king, right? Yes. You might not be the top king, but you get to mm -hmm. be the king in your house if right. you're the guy, right? right. Yes. Or if the and oldest the, son, yeah. you know. The man is the king of his household, you know, and his home is his castle, right? It, it's not a mistake that the coronation of kings throughout the Middle Ages and Renaissance was always done by a religious figure mm -hmm. because it was basically saying there is a hierarchy in the world that starts with God and God is acknowledging that you're at this particular high point in the hierarchy. Right. And this is so deeply ingrained that it has to, that it really takes us a moment to step back and think that it doesn't have to be that way. There doesn't yes. have to be that hierarchy of power, but we take it for granted because it's right. even in today's world where, you know, there are, there's a king in England, right? But it's mm -hmm. not the same way it used to be but even today that that structure is still around it's still in the back of our minds it's still how we think about society even though that's not politically how it's working exactly anymore but it really is right. at the same time it's not one single king but we're still basing our whole way of relating to each other with who has more power over the mm -hmm. other person Sure, think of a workplace, right? You've got either a sole proprietor who is the king mm -hmm. or queen, um, or you've got a board of directors who are basically kings or queens, and they invest power in a chief executive who is like a regent of some kind. 
and everybody else has is down below on the authority pyramid and has to obey the directions of what edicts are handed down, or they are punished, they are fired, or they are disciplined, or whatever it is. The same happens even in very benign circumstances, like, you know, like our education system. We assume that, you know, a kindergarten teacher is a very benign figure, but in the process of going through kindergarten and grade school and all that, children are learning to obey an authority figure that stands in front of them. Mm -hmm. That's that's core to what they are learning about how they should relate in the world. Yeah. And that's, that is the system of, that is school, right? Whether yes. you're, whether it's yeah. a private school, whether it's a public or a religious school or whatever, that's, that's the process of school. Right. And it's yeah. hard to break that. Even when you want to, when I was teaching undergrad students, when I was in graduate school, you know, you you try you move the chairs into a circle and you try to make it more about a sharing of experience and expertise rather than an authority thing. But you still have to turn in grades. Yeah. You know, you still have to take attendance. You know, these these things are mandated. You don't have any choice about it. So and if you just arbitrarily decide that you're going to give an A to everyone in the class, you get in trouble. Right. They <laughs> they don't they frown on that, right? Because the entire academic model is constructed around the validity of those A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's. Right. Well, and even when you purposely choose to to use a different model, you're still working with having come from that model to begin with. And mm -hmm. you fall back on what you know and what you're comfortable with. And when you're working with adult students, they have a whole they've got their whole life of experience behind them as well right. so you spend a lot of the time working on the system and the process instead of the content for that yeah um yeah and that's something you know as a in our family we don't use even though i am a teacher and you know working on my doctorate in this and all of that but we don't use that the schooling as our framework for education very, very consciously, but we find ourselves slipping back sometimes into that, well, yeah, but I'm the parent and I said so, right? And have to mm -hmm. go, wait a second, is that, is that really what we want? I mean, sometimes I do have to like swoop in and be like, nope, can't touch the fire. But, but outside of that, it really takes a lot of dedicated thought and self-awareness to step out of that and, and try to be different because it's right. it's how we were raised right and we're not encouraged to be different yeah and that is in the broadest sense we are not encouraged to be diverse because a part of what's necessary in order to get everybody marching in the same direction in order to fulfill the desires of some hierarchy mm -hmm. is that they need to submerge their diversity in their conformity and conformity becomes a very important value. And this is true. It's not only true in, in Christianized countries by any means. I mean, yeah, we're just speaking to big... that because it's our experience, right? Exactly. But conformity is a big value in much of Asia as well. The so when we ask ourselves, 
as and, and we'll get to what we're talking about with paganism in a minute, but you know, what what would it mean to be a person with agency rather than a person who's framed in the world as a servant of some higher authority? Mm-hmm. You know, what what kinds of choices could we make? What kinds of responsibilities would we have? What sorts of freedoms would we have? And I think that those are some of the deep questions that becoming a pagan really asks. Being a pagan isn't just about, well, I'm now I'm doing this groovy stuff with all this, you know, witchy aesthetic or, you know, other, you know, old cultures like, you know, the Norse culture that died out or the Greek culture that died out, kind of, you know, reconstructing that. It really it's much deeper than that. It's it's really more about how can I see the world through eyes that are less informed anyway by that authoritarian model. Mm-hmm. So the the relationship to authority is a big one. Yeah. The idea of relationships as possessory is another big one. Yes. The you know, the idea that children are possessions of their parents, that spouses are possessions of their spouses, and that then ties into the whole bodily shaming, contempt for the material world with the idea that there's this other sort of spirit world that is higher, more elevated. Right. And that's, that's, that's not in just language. in Christianity. Yeah. It's you hear that, oh, some higher everywhere. power or lowly and you know and the things that are that are earth earthy are the things that are that are bad right that are given that bad those are the things that are dirty right because they're associated with dirt which is a bad thing yeah Uh, so and then then you start pulling on that thread and you get into all the body shame Mm-hmm. And all of the the sexual shame and the just all the many, many, many ways that self-hatred gets sewn into the idea of being unique and individual and fulfilling your desires rather than running away from them mm-hmm. or suppressing them. All of this stuff is is the is the operating system for our for our culture folks even though our culture is rapidly de-christianizing those same paradigms are still very much up and running and even for those of us who were not raised christian mm-hmm. right even those of us who were raised pagan or were raised in any other religion it's still all around us it's still it is I mean, I loved how you called it the operating system, right? That's what it is. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's in the ways that we have to edit ourselves when we talk about our lives to keep the stuff that's going to freak out ordinary people out, mm-hmm. right? It's in the it's in the ways we have to tell our kids, well, it's fine for you to do this at home. But don't do it out there. Yeah. Because people aren't going to understand and they're going to disapprove. There are there are countless little moments in every day when we ask ourselves, 
how is this going to fly with the others mm -hmm. in a way that is deeply informed with that authoritarian, shame-based, earth-denying kind of modality. And taken to its extreme, which it is in our modern times, that modality leads to the kind of exploitation of the planet that is causing us such existential crises, right? Yeah. If, if you denigrate the material to the point that it's nothing but a pile of resources to be mined, which the Bible very clearly spells out it is, mm -hmm. according to that framework, how can you hold a pile of resources as sacred instead of instead of understanding it as a, 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 a living fabric, an interconnected set of relationships of which we are a part and have both benefits and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. That's just such a different way of looking at the world. And it's not the one that drives our economic system, our political system, or our culture. Right. Now, there's definitely places in paganism because we have to remember paganism is a is huge it's a big umbrella yeah. right mm -hmm. and there's definitely places where some of the things we've been talking about have been brought in and are are shared right there are some traditions in which the the hierarchy and that structure is very important and there are other traditions that that are purposefully breaking away from that and not embracing that kind of framework or trying not to. So certainly right. when we talk about paganism, we, we, as always, cannot speak for every pagan and every form of paganism, but are talking about the, our experiences and our particular flavor of paganism. Right, right. Well, and I think that to some degree, that's a generational thing. I think that when when modern neo-paganism really kind of started up again, which was in the 50s and 60s, I don't think many could really imagine a fully non-hierarchical way of organizing anything, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that there are some, you know, communes and intentional communities and so forth that were trying to do something else. But by and large, an average person, much less a, a retired English civil servant, would probably think, well, this is the way things should be organized. You should have things in tiers, and people go from one to another tier, and they get higher and higher in status mm -hmm. and power. Well, because that's just how society works, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but here we are, you know, almost a third of the way through the 21st century, <laughs> amazingly enough. And we're able to imagine now alternatives. For one thing, our ability to have conversations about something other than Christianity in a religious context, other than Abrahamic religions generally, mm -hmm. in a other than in, in that context, has jumped markedly just in the last 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. And you're you know, speaking about it, the, it, the broader community, not just paganism in this case, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I think 
you know, more ideas about how we can relate with one another, relate to the world, relate to the cosmos, are being bandied about now than were before. I mean, Bertrand Russell caused an absolute outrage when he published Why I Am Not, a, which I believe was in the 1940s, maybe a little earlier than that. Not sure. That kind of thing just sort of disappears without a ripple these days. There's plenty of people writing stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, just it gets a shrug. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. You and so what other percentage of the population? Yeah. You and a lot of other people. And so my big question to those folks is well, what are you then? What are you going to do? Which is what atheopaganism was a stab at answering. You know, I'm not just an atheist and I'm not just an, an earth reviewer. How am I going to, how am I going to implement that? Right. So, and I, I think it's so, kind of like accents. Everybody's got something. You just don't notice mm -hmm. it when everyone around you has the same as you. You only start right. to notice it when it's different than what you're hearing. Right, right. And I mean, these things continue to be a challenge as time rolls forward, even though the level of credulity in authority generally seems to be falling, there haven't been very many alternatives presented to that framework. And so people just tend to drop back into it because it's what they know. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about what what aspects of paganism really fly in the face of that conventional paradigm? I mean, certainly the whole relationship to the body and sexuality are very, very different. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we're in about a, you know, a free love free for all, but we're, we're about responsible relationships, however they work for you. Right. Well, and just the yeah. idea that pleasure is not bad. Right. Right. That just because right. something's pleasurable doesn't mean that it's a negative thing yeah. i think that's huge because that is mm -hmm. a big underlying assumption that if it, if it feels good it must be bad for you somehow right. and we don't have that assumption or we try not to have that assumption yes yes that that's better said i think because the truth is you know we the the two of us and you know the, the people in, in the English-speaking world who are practicing pagans, you know, we were still raised in our society, and we're still going to be, it's like soaking in tea. Mm -hmm. Even after you get out of the teacup, you're still kind of tea-colored, right? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's just not a lot that you can do about it, and you can spend time over time, you know, washing that off, and can become stronger less shame-filled, more, more about your own agency and decision-making, more courageous, all those things. But it takes time, and it is a process, and I don't think anybody ever completely gets there. Right. And you're continuously exposed. Mm -hmm. It's not like you decide, okay, now I'm, you know, I'm a pagan now, and now none of those things are going to continue to influence me. It's just everything in the past that I'm healing from. It's like, well, no, right. you, you 
read the newspaper, you talk with your friends, you read a book, you listen to podcasts, you watch, like all of these things, those are still influencing you every day. Yeah. 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 And I mean, especially it's, it's one thing if you've kind of carved out a little economy for yourself where you work for yourself and you, you don't have to plug into big hierarchical structures very much. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. But most of us have a job and jobs are organized tend you know they tend to be organized hierarchically well and, and even those of us who are self-employed we still are dealing with clients and we're still dealing right. with banks and you know yeah. that whole that that's all still there it may not be quite as in your face as you know going and clocking in and having your supervisor who has their supervisor and their but you know but it's still around us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and because it's still around us, I think some people, especially folks who have escaped uh, very authoritarian religious contexts, mm -hmm. they often unconsciously drag a lot of this framework along with them into paganism. I think that certainly happened with the idea of faith. Yes. Faith being such belief. a big deal. Belief. Yeah. Yes. The, the literal belief in, in deity and the, the faith in your, in your faith, right? With a capital F. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the faith in magic. The, mm -hmm. Yeah. All, all of those things. And, and the idea of sort of, you know, driving out the heretics kind of goes along with that. It's like, well, if you don't believe the way we believe, then you're not one of us. Yeah. Whereas, you know, to my mind, there are few enough pagans as it is. I mean, I think <laughs> the estimate is a million and a half in the in North America, something like that. There's few enough of us as it is that we don't need to be splitting with one another. I'm reminded of the uh, the scene from Monty Python's Life of Brian, where the <laughs> Judean People's Front and the People's Front of Judea are yelling at one another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's one of the things that that definitely got pulled in. And that's something we've talked about before on the podcast of, mm -hmm. of how on some levels that some of that is very new, but it's also been around for a long time as well. So, Yeah, but there was definitely a cultural shift that happened with with the big influx there, there was a big influx into paganism, in my experience, in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those folks were fleeing patriarchal, authoritarian, kind of punishment-oriented religions. Various flavors of Christianity, almost exclusively. Mm -hmm. And it was only a few years later that this idea about having to have faith and believe literally in gods as as actual beings rather mm -hmm. than ideas that all that stuff really came to the fore and you know maybe that wasn't a bad thing maybe it was maybe it was okay you know for those of us that don't follow that way to get a little bit more organized and you know, explore the ideas that underpin our way of looking at the world, you know, which is, you know, part of the result of that, that mm -hmm. expectation. Yeah, it's certainly 
something that I don't remember from my childhood. Now, some of that might be simply because of the particular style of my family and who were the people that we would that we would spend time with and celebrate with. But it, I didn't start really encountering that until you know, late teenage years, early adult years, finding people who literally believed that way, or at least were yeah. vocal about the literal belief. Were vocal yeah. enough to tell me I was wrong. <laughs> be like, you can't be a pagan. <laughs> you, that's not what pagan is. That's just a philosophy. I'm like, okay, whatever. You do yeah. you. Yeah, I've heard that one too. That's just a philosophy. Or I've heard it's it's secular humanism with LARPing or, you know, a lot of really kind of insulting stuff. And before before that arose, we never even talked about theology. We just got to get, you know, it was a doing thing. We got together and we did our seasonal rituals and we celebrated and had our events and all that kind of stuff. But I do remember God talk about goddess, but I don't remember like the goddess being like, I don't remember the goddess being the way like my Christian friends would talk about God. Right. Right. Like it didn't seem like, like, I mean, this is, this might feel a little bit offensive for somebody from a theistic perspective but my child understanding was that like god was your like imaginary friend that you could talk to that you could use Mm -hmm. as your justification to do whatever you wanted it had never like when i heard people talk about the goddess it wasn't really like this person that was like your imaginary friend that you like prayed to and stuff it was i always kind of understood it as more they were talking about like the force of nature and life itself yeah. and it was very yeah. more of like this kind of metaphorical thing but again that might have and just the, been my and personal the power of femininity i mean the whole sacred feminine piece and you know i know a lot of folks are still doing you know that that kind of wiccan god and goddess thing but it seems to me that some of that when it really arose in the 1980s it was really kind of a product of its time third wave feminism was just starting to break mm-hmm. and you know and with it the the sort of hiving off from hardcore secular marxism of some you know earlier generations and there was just a lot of exploring going on and one of the things that women especially were realizing is we're not in any of these stories yeah that... well not in the way that <laughs> that is very good for us yeah yeah that's right yeah you're you're cautionary tales (laughs) you know object lessons and stuff like that rather than people in charge and heroes and all that kind of stuff so yeah i don't know i just it still feels very strange to me when i encounter somebody that is just burning with rage over the fact that i call myself a pagan and i don't believe in literal deity where is the harm to them i mean it's an identity issue i think right yeah that they've built their their identity around this i am a pagan and this is what it means to be a pagan and there's this kind of strength and the gatekeeping and there's 
like it feels empowering and like a very in that that righteous kind of anger way so i understand yeah. the i don't i don't think it's very constructive in the long run but i i can understand where they're coming from with it but i think it causes a lot of pain in the long run yeah yeah right. it seems like it would make a whole lot more sense if we could put all that aside and sit down and have a beer and you know enjoy one another in a in a pagan context and I've seen that a lot. I mean, I see that at, at conferences and so forth, where, you know, we're able, I, when I go to a conference, I don't see the devotional polytheists huddling in one corner, you know, while the non-theist pagans huddle in another corner and the Wiccans are in another corner. That's not how it works. You know, we, we do, we do big rituals together. We, socialize we go to parties mm -hmm. it's a it's a generally a very amicable kind of environment um and you know bringing that that burning rage into it i guess is what i really don't understand you know it's a hard enough world out there as it is and i find pagan spaces to be so much generally so much kinder and more open and more tolerant that's what i want to foster okay. Yeah. I mean, I find myself just being delighted to be around other pagans and, you know, just enjoying that. Wow. You're pretty interesting. This is fun. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a nice chant. I like that. That feels good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. Well, we had we talked about this doing this topic this week because it's Easter. And that's one of those, Easter is one of the two big Christian holidays, right? There certainly mm -hmm. are lots of other ones, but those are like the big, Christmas and Easter are like the big ones that even the kind of mostly Christian just by name folks will celebrate. But it is one of those mm -hmm. ones that's interesting because it does have a lot of overlap with what many pagans are doing this time of year with the equinox, right? And so it's one of those interesting right. ones where there's kind of that, that like, hmm, what is what's what part of it is pagan? What part of it is Christian? It's always very funny to hear the complaints from some of the real Christian folks about, oh, this is just so pagan, like it, like it's a bad. Thing. It's like, yeah, yeah well, it is, yeah, so it is pretty pagan. You're talking about like people fertility are enjoying and, themselves yeah. yeah and celebrating fertility and you know and the springtime and all of that you know ah oh, terrible but it is well i do but, get a chuckle but out that of that said but that's said i mean easter is celebrated by many many christians as a a celebration of sort of the redemptive quality that spring has mm -hmm. right the the renewal of the world yeah that comes in the spring which is lovely it's the human sacrifice to to pay off <laughs> the debt of sins that we didn't even commit thing that it just baffles me. I, I just yes. I mean, it's it was woman's fault, story. by the way. I don't way. know why anybody would buy into it. What was that? I'm sorry. It was woman's oh, fault, was by the way. Yes, fault. Yeah. Of course, of course, it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah. the mythology behind all of it is very interesting and, and tracking and learning about that is, I find that all fascinating, right? And the, 
how some of those stories are you know far older than mm -hmm. Judaism itself and I was learning about Noah recently actually about how the story of Noah there's much the the great flood and the the hero saving people from the great like that's way way older than Judaism mm. it's really interesting mm. so interesting. there's a lot of of those in there yeah, I mean, I can't say that I put a whole lot of effort into sort of, you know, biblical history study. It's just never been something that's appealed to me very much. It wasn't to, for me either, but my kids are really interested in mythology right now. Uh-huh. Right? They're, and so and I'm they're sure just they're curious like, about these stories that are driving the society they're in. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And they're very clear. You know, my, my oldest, who you've met several times, is, you know, regularly likes to remind me that we don't believe in them that they're just stories but they're important <laughs> stories that's what she says yes. they're stories but they're important stories and so you know they're just just reading up all the mythology books that we can get right now it's very and it's really interesting because they'll notice connections between well, this story we're reading about in the norse mythology that's kind of like the story that sort of like the one in the egyptian or the greek mythology and the it's really interesting to see their them tying together and I wish that we would could know, we can't really, but know what relationship there is between those stories. Did somebody for tell sure. somebody a version that got passed yeah. on word of mouth for, you know, hundreds of years, or is it just coincidence or, you know, all of that is, I mean, well, people spend their whole life trade, studying that. You know, overland caravans and sailing trade, you know, yeah. for as long as there have been people living in communities, they've been trading with one another. Yeah. And when, you know, you don't just trade resources, you trade culture because, yep. you know, there you are after a long day of, you know, selling your barley for leather hides or whatever it is. And now you're, you know, sitting around, seated around a brazier, having a drink with whoever you did the trading with, and mm -hmm. you're going to share stories from your culture. Absolutely. And that, that means they're on the move. Well, and is between different groups, right? Your mom's from mm -hmm. one place, your dad's from another. You grow up with both, you know, you right. grow up with both right. stories. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess to sort of sum up all this, I mean, maybe there was a time when it actually was an improvement in the lot of humanity for this authoritarian patriarchal kind of model to come into place. I don't necessarily think that's so. I think it may just have been what happens when suddenly you've got an economic surplus and people are fighting over it and somebody wins, mm -hmm. which, you know, came with agriculture. Came with the end of the ice age. But, right, right. Yeah. But if there was a time when that served us well, it's well over. Mm -hmm. It doesn't serve us well anymore. And so, you know, a part of what I have been about in my paganism has been wanting to increase the agency and the liberation and the justice for people and for the earth throughout the world. And I think it's time for us to start unpacking all these assumptions and making other choices mm -hmm. about how we organize our societies, about what life is worth living for is it worth 
is, is life really about the accumulation of stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it's a big question because there's an awful lot of people out there whose identity is deeply tied up in what kind of car they drive. Right. So it's a, it's an ongoing journey, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that we're doing it. I'm glad that we're thinking about it and, you know, working on it every day and getting to have conversations like this on the podcast. Yeah, so. me too. Because as I said, I do think that it's generational. I think this is a moment, right? And things will continue to evolve from here. I mean, I don't, I don't expect that we've got all the answers or that we've figured everything out, but we're working on part of the big puzzle. And mm-hmm. if we can do our, our part and kind of figure that bit out, then we will have done our work for the larger whole. Yeah. Well, well thank a... you for a great conversation, Yaka. This was cool. Yeah, likewise. It saves a good, good talk and enjoyed it. I've got more to think about than I did coming into the conversation. So that's always fun. That's the great thing about that's the great thing about inquiry. It always leads to more questions than you had when you started. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wanted to remind people real quick. We are doing an online Zoom conference of mm-hmm. the Ethiopian community, which is called the Ethiopian Web Weaving. That's going to be on June 3rd and 4th, which is a weekend. And you can register for that at the link that we'll put in the show notes. That's there on the Ethiopian Society website, which is theapsociety.org. Okay. So hope that we'll see you there. And in the meantime, Have a great week, and we will see you next week.